I'm Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power podcast, we're discussing concerns about Huawei technologies and its potential inclusion in 5G infrastructure around the world. Huawei is a telecommunications and consumer electronics company founded in 1987 by Ren Zhengfei, formerly an engineer in the People's Liberation Army. The company earned over 100 billion dollars last year and is now the number two smartphone vendor worldwide. Many countries are wary of allowing Huawei equipment to be installed in the next generation of telecommunication infrastructure due to concerns that doing so could potentially enable espionage. So far, the United States, Australia, and New Zealand, three nations in the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, have banned use of Huawei equipment. At the same time, the global race to roll out 5G technology is heating up, with China among the countries at the forefront. To discuss Huawei and the risks its technology and 5G systems might pose, I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. James Lewis. Jim is a senior vice president and director of the Technology Policy Program at CSIS. And before joining CSIS, he worked at the Departments of State and Commerce as a Foreign Service Officer and as a member of the Senior Executive Service. His current research examines the effect of technology on warfare and how the internet has changed politics. Thanks for joining us today, Jim. Thank you, Bonnie. So, in the National Defense Authorization Act, the United States has banned government agencies and contractors from using Huawei technology, and the Trump administration is apparently contemplating an executive order that would ban all U.S. telecom companies from using Huawei's technology in 5G networks. So, can you explain the reasoning behind this? What exactly is the threat, and is it well founded? Uh, people don't trust China, and that's the source of the threat here. Is that China is engaged in a massive espionage campaign against the United States and other Western countries, and that's the backdrop for concerns about Huawei. Huawei has always been closely linked to the Chinese intelligence services, and there's a fear that if you use Huawei equipment, it will give China both an intelligence advantage. And ability to cause some kind of coercive action, to disrupt services, to turn off phones, so the th- risk of using Huawei has grown in the view of the U.S. and that explains the various bans. So this controversy about Huawei、um, goes back before we even started talking about 5G. The original links to the to the PLA. What are some of the other problems? Can you give us a little bit of maybe a thumbnail sketch of some of the history of the concerns about Huawei? Huawei's always been a bit murky and even duplicitous about their background、uh, and their links to the Chinese government, and so that hurts them. They're not publicly traded. There's not a lot of transparency, and they've come up with lines that maybe are convincing in China, but they're not convincing to the rest of the world.、Um, Huawei has benefited from massive government subsidies、uh, that could run into the billions of dollars. And you know, one of the questions is why does the Chinese government think it's worthwhile to subsidize a telecom equipment manufacturer? Some of it is mercantilism; they want to dominate the market, and that scares other phone companies. Some of it is espionage.、Um, Huawei has a track record of industrial espionage.、Um, one of the reasons the Canadian company Nortel went out of business was because of Chinese espionage to steal their technology and copy it. So Huawei is 
obviously a major provider today of next generation 5G uh, equipment. So can you talk a little bit about what this technology is um, and how it compares to the previous generations like 4G? What is it that is making Huawei so successful? Huawei is successful because of their handset sales and because of their subsidized prices. 5G is a new area that they hope to dominate, but so does Samsung, so does some of the other manufacturers. Um, 5G basically takes your smartphone and the app economy that grew up around it and applies that to the whole world. So we talk, this will have to be the buzzword moment in the podcast, the Internet of Things, right? Well, that means everything is connected to the Internet. 5G is what will allow that to happen uh, for mobile technologies, that could include your car, for technologies that require real precision and a guaranteed service, that could be telemedicine, that could be a factory. 5G basically brings the internet to your phone. It, it extends 4G in a way that um, makes sense, but will create a whole new set of opportunities. And that's part of what people are fighting over, is 5G will create new revenue streams uh, the Chinese have always felt that they didn't get their fair share, and so they're eager to make sure they are in a dominant position in 5G. So why aren't American companies in this race? Well, this could qualify as one of the many great strategic blunders of the last 20 years for the U.S. We saw our phone companies, the North American telco equipment providers, go out of business more than a decade ago. First was Nortel, a Canadian company with a significant presence in the U.S. that was badly damaged by Chinese espionage. Second was Lucent. Lucent was damaged by a series of really bad business decisions. And so both Lucent and Nortel went out of business, leaving the U.S. dependent on foreign suppliers. And that was a mistake. The Bush administration, the Clinton administration, each thought about could we rebuild our telecom supply base? And the bill was just too high. They didn't want to spend the money. And so we just ignored the problem, and here we are. I first studied this problem 15 years ago as part of an NSA program when we knew we were going to depend on foreign suppliers. And the question would be, what should the U.S. do? And it turns out that what we did was nothing. So what is the competition then that Huawei faces? Huawei is a funny company because they, like, as you very well know, the rest of Chinese government-affiliated entities have a huge propaganda machine on them. Huawei could not make 5G without U.S. components. And so um, Intel, Qualcomm, Xilinx, other chip makers, China is completely dependent on them as are, frankly, the competitors, Ericsson, Nokia, and Samsung. Now, Samsung has its own chip business, so they might eventually get out of this, but the core of 5G is still made in the U.S., and all of the equipment manufacturers still depend on that. Um, that means that Huawei has a dependency on the U.S. They're struggling to get away from that. They also have huge Chinese government backing. In a recent... Uh, competition, Huawei offered a 90% discount over the market price using Chinese government money. They were the, the European phone company in question told me that Huawei was desperate to get into their telecommunications core. Um, and so you have to ask, why were they desperate? Where did the money come from? 
So can you talk a little bit about how other countries are reacting to the pressure that the U.S. is applying on them to not incorporate Huawei technologies? And we, of course, have a decision recently by the U.K. to allow Huawei to supply some infrastructure, um, some equipment to its 5G network. And the claim is apparently that they can use the equipment on the edge while keeping it out of the core. So can you explain that reasoning and is this actually a pathway to mitigate the risks, or is it naive? So none of our security partners disagree on the risk of using Huawei equipment. What they disagree on is how to mitigate that risk. And one approach, of course, is to ban. What the UK did and other countries are thinking about is a partial ban. If you keep Huawei out of the core, some say that's not possible in 5G. Not entirely true. It's harder, but you could keep them out of the core. And some say if you keep them away from sensitive areas like Whitehall or MOD facilities, um, that that reduces the risk as well. People like Huawei because it's subsidized. And so for many governments, it's a choice between security and money. And as we know, uh, governments always prefer to take the money solution. We'll see what happens. I think the British solution is not as good as a complete ban, but it can't be ruled out. They're not the only ones who use it. And so other major, let's call them cyber powers, have taken a similar approach. So we're in a period of discussion. Um, is it Does the British approach even work? They say yes, other people say no. Um, what's the political consequences of banning Huawei? When Australia banned Huawei, the Chinese turned around and uh, cut Australian coal exports. Coal is uh, Australia's biggest export to China. So China will be mean back to you, and that scares some countries. Um, we need to think about how we buck up our allies to do the right thing. So the CEO of Huawei, Ren Zhengfei, has insisted that if the Chinese Communist Party put pressure on the company to provide information, that they would refuse to do so. What's your reaction to that? You should ask Jack Ma about what happens to CEOs that resist uh, Chinese government pressure. He wouldn't be the chairman for very long. Uh, he could ask Liu Wei, the former cyber czar in China, who's currently harvesting turnips in Mongolia because he offended the party. Come on. I mean, of course he's going to say that, but it's complete nonsense. Can you unpack a bit more what some of the risks are and the severity of the potential risks. So we have, for example, a national security law in China that basically says that any company has to provide information if the government asks. And then you have things like backdoors. And so how, how do you look at the severity of the risks that, that are posed? It's not really a backdoor. It's a front door. Uh, most big capital goods anymore, and this could be jet engines or electrical power generators or telecom core equipment, are connected back to the manufacturer because the manufacturer can send them updates or patches or observe status, see if the warranty's working. This is a normal practice, and it means that if you buy from Huawei, if you buy from GE or if you buy from Siemens, um, the equipment you buy will be calling home. There will be an open connection, and you may not know what goes over that connection. Uh, you may buy the equipment on day one, and it's as pure as the driven snow. And on day two, they send a patch that gives them an opportunity for disruption or for espionage. So it's a front door. And I think the 
national intelligence law only reinforced the concerns that many people had because no one believes a Chinese government can stand up to the Chinese party and say, no, I won't help. That's ridiculous. Um, so you have the access. The concerns fall into two categories. There is some intelligence benefit from being on the uh, being the telco provider, it increases your SIGINT, signals intelligence capabilities. The second is the risk of coercive action. And as we know, China likes to be coercive. Uh, look what they did to the Australians. And so suppose you were in a spat with China and they said, we're going to turn your phones off for two days or your phones are only going to, only one call out of three will go through. Um, people worry about that. And again, it's a question, does my worry about the risk of Chinese spying and disruption outweigh my desire to get the Huawei discount? So in December of 2018, uh, the chief financial officer of Huawei, uh, Meng Wanzhou, was arrested in Canada, which was, of course, at the request of the United States. And she was charged, um, and the company uh, apparently was charged with uh, a series of crimes, including bank fraud, wire fraud, sanctions violations, and obstruction of uh, justice. So can you talk a little bit about that indictment, how you think it's affected uh, the company and the way that Huawei is being looked at by the international community? The, the indictment didn't really affect Huawei uh, as much as the general distrust. When you have uh, a set of major countries like Australia and the U.S. coming out and saying, you can't trust this company. It's done immense damage to the brand. And Huawei has undertaken a huge public relations campaign. They take people out to dinner. They have huge billboards. They fund things. They, they have the money to spend to rebuild their brand. And whether they can regain trust, uh, I don't know. I tend to doubt it. I think the company's been permanently hurt by this. Uh, but that won't affect their market share. The indictment's a little different, which is that uh, Huawei, like many Chinese companies, believe that law is sort of a discretionary thing. That might be how it works in China. If the party says you can ignore the law, go ahead. And so they regarded the U.S. and United Nations sanctions on Iran as discretionary. You know, maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. And Meng, uh, like many Chinese, has a, a hidey hole in Western countries where they can go when it gets to be a little too much in China or if things get turbulent. Uh, they can flee there. Uh, Meng was shocked to be arrested because it meant that their safe havens in Sydney, in Vancouver, in LA, in London weren't safe anymore. Uh, that had a huge effect, but that's different from the damage to Huawei's brand. So how do you think that this will play out with Ms. Meng? Do you think there is a possibility that, as President Trump has said, that this could be part of a trade deal? Uh, do you think that she will, in fact, be extradited to the U.S., or do you think we're going to wake up one day and find that she's back in Beijing? You know, it is something that the Chinese put on the table. Uh, the treatment of Huawei and the treatment of Hmong. So it is in play in the trade negotiations. And I hesitate to predict how those negotiations will turn out. Um, it's not a big chip, but if the U.S. feels it can get something useful, maybe they'd give it up. I don't think the Department of Justice would be particularly happy. I don't think the Canadians would be particularly happy because we've put them through a ration of pain. 
after Meng was uh, detained, uh, the Chinese went around and arrested random Canadians and sentenced them to death or to prison. It was purely punishment. And the Canadians might say, hey, we did you a favor and now you're throwing us under the bus. It could happen. So the question for me is, how many soybeans will it take to buy Hmong's freedom? There are obviously differences, as we already discussed a bit, among the Five Eyes nations on how to cope with and mitigate the threat from Huawei. Is this undermining trust among these five countries, or is that an exaggeration? No, the British have a political problem, which is that they uh, they um, have a leadership that apparently didn't realize that you'd have to have more than like 20 minutes of planning when you agreed to carry out Brexit. And so the British political leadership is panicked by the potential economic consequences of Brexit. And they say, this is not a good time for us to be alienating China. In fact, the day of the British announcement, uh, a senior cabinet official from the UK was flying to China to negotiate trade deals. So the British professionals, the British career service types, they have to do what their political masters want. And their political masters are, you know, they're looking, how can they not alienate the U.S., but also not alienate the Chinese? That's going to be really tough. But at the cooperative level, um, this doesn't change our views, our shared views, certainly among the Five Eyes, of the risk posed by China, of the risk posed by Russia, of the risks in the Middle East. So I don't think it will have a damaging effect on intelligence cooperation. Is the Trump administration's policy toward Huawei and the protection of U.S. networks the right approach from your perspective? Oh, I don't think they have a choice. I think that uh, we uh, are exceptionally vulnerable to foreign espionage activities over networks, and anything we can do to reduce that risk is useful. Uh, Huawei is not a trustworthy company. That's been true for, for years, probably since its founding. And so the idea of letting Huawei into our core networks is inviting even more espionage. In fact, the only thing I've ever heard about this was from a British friend who said, the Chinese haven't used Huawei yet for espionage, but it's so easy to spy over the internet now they don't need to. The problem is if we ever figure out how to do better cybersecurity and you have Huawei in your networks, then they'll use it. So uh, this is uh, long overdue, and I don't know if you agree, but um, China, particularly since Xi Jinping came to power, has been uh, much more assertive, even aggressive, both in espionage and in its mercantilist policies. We need to push back. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the broader espionage threat, since um, that is really what we are concerned about here. It's not just Huawei equipment sure. in, in the network. You know, put this in a broader context. Why is China engaged in this massive espionage effort? And is there is there really any way to stop them? You know, if Huawei was an Indian company or a Brazilian company, they wouldn't be having any problems. I think a lot of Chinese companies realize this, that they're handicapped by having a very um, hostile uh, regime as their master. And what we've seen under Xi Jinping is uh, reform of the security services, the military, that's made them more focused, more 
uh, disciplined in the sense of they're controlled by Beijing, that they weren't in, the, in ways they weren't in the past. Uh, China needs Western technology. It is not contrary to some of the claims capable of making advanced technology unless it steals it or unless it buys it. And most big economies have closed China out of their markets. Uh, the last big sale was probably KUKA, a German robotics company. And Angela Merkel apparently said, why did we do that? It's not going to happen again. So if you can't buy, you have to steal. Um, what do we do back? It's difficult. Perhaps we'll get something in the trade talks. Mm, unlikely. We had a 2015 deal that's broken down. Uh, there are traditional measures to counter espionage. Um, the Chinese have been resistant to these measures. So I think we're going to need to escalate the thing a little bit here. I think we're going to need to look at harsher measures on Chinese activities, more indictments, um, more visa denials, uh, more arrests. That's what we're going to have to do. It's unfortunate, and one of the problems for this administration is that they have um, somewhat uh, taken a very broad-brush approach to denying visas to perfectly respectable Chinese scholars, Chinese officials. That's a huge mistake. But some percentage of the Chinese who come to the U.S. are spies. We need to do a better job of weeding them out and tossing them in the clink. You mentioned the deal that was reached between President Obama and Xi Jinping in 2015, which was essentially uh, that neither country would steal technology and then use it for um, through cyber means and use it for commercial advantage. Mm -hmm. So what's your uh, assessment as to why that seemed to work for a while and then um, uh, the Chinese apparently um, decided to perhaps ignore it. Was this a function of uh, reaction to the Trump administration or was something else going on? Well, it was a sort of unique alignment of the planets that got us the agreement. The Obama administration amazingly was able to be pretty tough in the negotiations, something they were almost never capable of. Um, plus, Xi Jinping was using the anti-corruption campaign, the military modernization campaign to consolidate his power. So you had Chinese domestic interests that were looking at a deal where they would benefit from a, uh, getting the PLA to stop spying for its own fiduciary benefit and work for the state. You had Obama being tough, um, and that kind of went away. Uh, it's not entirely Trump. But there's been a sense from some of our leading opponents that the U.S. is overrated and they can push them harder than they think. The Chinese are also deeply concerned about their, their economy, uh, their level of indebtedness, their dependence on Western technology. And I think that meant that after staying away from the cookie jar for a year or two, they decided it was time to come back. Do governments need to do a better job of educating their publics about the threat that China poses in espionage overall, but also specifically about Huawei? Or is this just really a concern of government and the elites? It's interesting, and I don't have a good answer to that, because um, we, of course, live this. And so it's hard for me to think that people are unaware of the challenges posed by China Certainly in Washington and certainly in the business community, that's no longer the case. Uh, uh, Congress has realized that 
being mean to China is is a good thing. So you have a many, many more China hawks than you had, say, five years ago. The business community used to support China and used to say, oh, don't be mean to them. We need market access. They don't say that anymore. So opinion in the U.S. has changed. And I think the Chinese are having difficulty coming to terms with that. It's changed in Europe. It's changed in Japan. China's behavior has engendered a reaction. And how much the public needs to know... um, you know, I'm the wrong person to ask. My motto used to be, what they don't know won't hurt them, which is a good line for this sort of activity. That's not true anymore. We need to tell the American people why we're doing this. I think in the case of Huawei, they know. And I think in the case of China, they appreciate the threat. So um, more is always better, but things have changed. People don't look at China the way they looked at them five years ago. Now they look at them as a threat. We've been talking with Jim Lewis, who is the Senior Vice President and Director of the Technology Program, and my colleague here at CSIS. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you.